controlling people. Yeah. So uh, we wanted to make sure. Opinionated um, people, or strong-minded people. <laughs> yeah, so maybe that. we could just have lent back and say, well, you know what you're doing. So mm. we trust your translator, but we wanted to, uh, to make sure. So uh, hopefully it will be really, really good, as good as the Swedish version. Mm. And, and when will the book be out? 15th of March, you said, right? It will be published on the 15th of March, yeah. And uh, w- when did you write the original Swedish version? Uh, the Swedish version was published in September uh, 2019, so it's one and a half years ago. Uh, then the process of writing the book, that was a bit longer. <laughs> so tell us a little bit about that story, you know, process of coming up with I need to write the book and tell us a bit about that a little bit. Uh, yeah, well, if you had met me when I was 10, uh, you wouldn't have been surprised that no. I wrote a book, uh, but it would have been a book about horses or <laughs> mysteries or romance. And I ended up writing a book on change management. And uh, really, the reason for that is um, that I um, participate in an organization, ACMP, uh, Association of Change Management Practitioners. And in the Swedish chapter, we had uh, uh, really set our minds to see how do we drive the profession of change managers in Sweden. And of course, an important part is uh, how are new generations educated in this topic? So we reached out to universities and high schools and tried to find what what material did they use and and in what classes uh, did they train this? Could you find some university courses that actually do teach change management? Uh, Yes, as uh, part of the... uh, uh, maybe third or, or fourth year, uh, mm. mostly in engineering when you study project okay. management. Yeah. And, um, uh, and and in this search, we, we came across Annette, uh, who is now a professor at Aube Academy. And uh, she said, well, well, interesting thing, uh, can we meet up? So we met for lunch, uh, Maria and I from ACMP and then Annette. And we, we talked about the uh, process of change management and where does it fit in. And and after 30 minutes, she said, um, should we write a book together? <laughs> and Maria and I looked at each other and said, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and it, it turned out that Annette has re- written several books before uh, on project management and how to, how to write good papers and, and so on. And for people that don't uh, you know, know how to get started writing a book or how that process actually worked, but may want to, how how did you get started? Did you get some you know funding in the beginning? Did you talk to some publisher in the start, or how did you actually get started writing a book? Uh, f- for us, it was really what we in Swedish call a räkmacka. I don't mm. know what that's in English, <laughs> uh, but because served on a plate, yeah, <laughs> served on a plate by Annette because she had written books for Studentlitteratur, uh, right. who produces books for universities, uh, and uh, so she called her publisher and said, "I have uh, this idea. Uh, I want to write a book together with two practitioners, with an academic and a practical perspective on change management." And her publisher said, "Yeah, interesting. Um, can we meet?" Uh, we had a breakfast with him when he was in Stockholm, and then we wrote the synopsis, and then we uh, we had a contract. So that that's one way. Uh, if you meet somebody like mm. Annette, and you got money up front to, to uh, work no, or? no. Okay. But I mean, we. Um, so what does a contract mean? A promise to publish. It's a promise to publish, uh, <laughs> and it means that you get uh, a few kroners per sold book. Uh, so what we did was to uh, invest our time. Um, and and the uh, the synopsis we made that in in May uh, 2018. Uh, the contract was signed in June, and then we spent our summer holidays writing. So in the synopsis, we we split the work between us. So all three of us uh, started working on different chapters, and then we sort of sent them around in the system. 
Uh, and by September, we had the first version. That's good work. That's really diligent work, it seems like. Yeah, well, Maria and I said, yeah, why? We, <clears throat> we wrote a book and uh, then we met our publisher and he tore apart. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and at that point, Maria and I said, oh, it's never going to be a book. Uh, we totally uh, suck at this. But um, I mean, Annette said, it's like Lego. I mean, you just take the pieces apart and then you put them together and you get something new. So uh, uh, we tore it apart and we worked I think every weekend for the whole autumn. And then um, in January, we had the uh, the manuscript. So, I mean, we spent a bit more than half a year actively working on it. And then it turns out there's a very long process to publish a book. Uh, I mean, we thought, uh, ca- can we have the release party in March? Is that okay? <laughs> <laughs> and uh, uh, our publisher, no, maybe in September. Uh, it was on September the 3rd. Yeah. So for Marie and, and, and me, this was um, uh, a very slow process. And Annette had been in the game before. So she said, I've never done it this fast before. <laughs> so and uh, to end a little bit on this note, um, wh- who is using the book or where, who is your audience or where is it used today? Uh, the book was written to be used by students uh, studying at universities in Sweden. Uh, so the books that were used were uh, about 20 years old uh, and or American, uh, which means that they were very expensive, very extensive, and with examples and, and uh, situations that it doesn't really apply to Sweden. And uh, uh, the articles were also very old. So what we wanted to do was to write for students uh, something that's 2018. and the inter- because Marie and I were engaged in ACMP, uh, a lot of the change practitioners engaged said, well, well, that book could really be used at work because we, we want to uh, implement uh, change management and, and add that to project management in our organization. So uh, in the end, uh, when it was published, uh, I think for the first year, most copies were sold to practitioners. And we got a feedback that this is a really good book. This is something that's valuable for even for somebody that had worked for some time as a change manager. And we thought, well, that, that wasn't the original intention, but it's a great thing. Uh, and now it's on reading lists on, for, for students. So now oh, it's both. Cool. So both for students in academia, in, in their training and practitioners using it. That's a good, that's you aimed well. And I have another topic that I'd love to bring up, perhaps not right now, but uh, speaking about like Amazon and how they disrupted the whole book producing market, um, that would be really fun to hear your thoughts about. Yeah. So, so we have a couple, so we, let's talk, come back to that. Yeah. I, I think we need to explore what's the difference between project management and change management. Mm-hmm. That's, that's, awesome. a, yeah, that's a good, in, well. interesting topic. Uh, but before we jump, uh, let's start a little bit. Uh, who is Anna, and what has sort of shaped you to become a change management practitioner? Or you know, what's what's your story? Uh, it's a long story. Uh, I'm I'm a reluctant engineer, uh, and <laughs> <laughs> I, I started working in the mid '80s. Uh, my first work was a uh, as a product specialist for hard disk drives at Ericsson, and I got the 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 hottest the new hard disk drive. It was this big, it weighed 10 kilos, <laughs> and it contained, hold on to how your many voices. Kilo, how many kilobytes? <laughs> yeah, well, 30. 
uh, and it was so hot. Uh, and and I endured for nine months. Hot from a temperature point of view, not yes, from yes. a sexy point of view. Uh, no yeah, sexy, yeah. Hot because I mean it had fans, but it's still yeah. it I mean, it you so couldn't hot. you couldn't <laughs> touch it. <laughs> I thought you meant sexy, but you meant it was actually hot. <laughs> I sort of meant both, but uh, he understood okay. the other part as well. Yes. Um, and and I endured that for nine months. But I mean I, I I'm not a product specialist. I'm not really an engineer. So um, uh, I started working as uh, sales and marketing. It uh, it was then Televerket. Now it's Telia. And uh, at that point in time, uh, organizations started to have a need to connect their networks and their own uh, switchboards. Uh, it was extremely expensive with data, uh, extremely expensive uh, making phone calls. And most of all, when you wanted to add new networks, you had to wait a couple of months for, for Telia to arrive. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, so uh, Radio Links uh, was what I worked with, and, and that was actually a new um uh, new business for Telia. They actually sold the radio links to the organizations. So instead of, of owning uh, the, the backbone, which has always been their business, uh, they, they sold the uh, radio links. So uh, that was at a time when, when you only could buy from Telerket, end of the 80s. And uh, that's how I got into uh, networking, because what you wanted to do with the radio links was to connect networks. And uh, in the beginning of the 90s, I started working for a company called Upnet. They were the first in Sweden to work with Cisco routers. Yeah, I remember that. The, Upnet brought Cisco to the Nordics, I believe. Yes. Before yes, Cisco did. even had offices or anything. Yeah. Yeah, right. Yeah. Yeah, w- when I uh, joined in 92, uh, Upnet, we were, I think I was number 18. And when I left 2000, we were 4,500 people. Yeah. And and Cisco in Sweden at that point was one guy and then it became three quite quickly. <laughs> and that was a time, I mean, John Chambers came to visit us uh, because Sweden was so far, far ahead. ahead. Uh, we, we really wanted to try out new technology. Um, and I think Upnet, you actually you you built Sunet, right? Yeah, Sunet, the university backbone, which but is the first internet or real backbone of telco or communications in Sweden, right? Yeah, well, the defense yeah, yeah, organization yeah, yeah. might have had one as well, head. but yeah. <laughs> uh, and so soon at then and Telerag, yeah, yeah. When when my kids uh, that are twenty four and twenty seven, when they mess with me because I'm a dinosaur using my smartphone, I say, "Well, you can mock me, but I built the internet." <laughs> so <laughs> that's the only thing that I can tell them. So that was really an exciting time because uh, networking was really expanding, um, and that was at the same time that that Telia was not the only supplier of backbones and, and uh, network connections. Uh, you've got all the other companies coming in, building networks. So it was really an exciting time. We, we built some really big projects. And of course, we are talking now, this, your storytelling is uh, overlapping with the digitalization journey of Sweden, because here we are now Upnets moving Cisco in, and then, and then we move forward to 97, 99. And here we have the beginning of the internet bubble, and a massive upside of sort of building, of, uh, you know, doing new backbones for Handelsbanken, stuff like this, uh, building up, uh, there were several internet operators coming up, uh, building both, I, I guess, the communication setup, but the whole storage, the whole, uh, I guess, sun service setups and all that, right? Yeah. Right yeah. in the middle of the internet bubble. Yeah. 
Yeah, it was uh, that was actually before the internet bubble, yes. and and I I remember I um, the infrastructure for the internet bubble. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> uh, uh, I, I was uh, I was a sales manager uh, going to the end of the nineties, and and we had some strict rules when we had new customers, uh, and one of my sales guys he came to me and said, and I have to talk about you. Know, I have a customer that wants to buy some Cisco routers, uh, but but when I search their credibility, it's really it's a guy in a room in Lund. It seems to be a student. Maybe Bredmansbolaget. <laughs> and you know, we and we looked into this and said, okay, let's set up a meeting in here. And he had big plans, and it sounded crazy. But we looked at it. It's not that much money. Go sell him the router, and that became one of the biggest customers <laughs> of Mercantil Lot at the end of the uh, the nineties. Yeah, there was this Birgersson Bredmansbolaget yeah. buying yeah. his infrastructure from you and your sales guy. Yeah. Super cool. Yeah, really. Yeah. And what? And uh, now we are sort of ninety nine, two thousand, somewhere there. And what's 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 up? You know, what's the next? You know, it was it was a fantastic journey to be uh, both because Upnet grew and and the whole revolution of the industry and uh, we we everybody that worked we we, we grew as as professional professionals and as humans. Uh, but also to get all the structures, how do we how do we sell in a good way? How do we deliver? Because there were huge projects, so we we really started working with with product management and uh, having really good consultant and project manager. So so I knew when I sold big projects that that okay I have the the consultants and I have the product managers and the customers are going to be satisfied. And then uh, I, I was looking for, for some new challenge and, and uh, Upnet was my until it was a bit too big. It wasn't the same feeling. So I switched working with ERP systems. Uh, and I did that until I started working with you on ProSales. And uh, of course, I, I um, thought that it's the same. We have product managers and, and we deliver and we have the customer requirements and found a completely new world uh, where you could deliver according to what they asked and still they weren't satisfied. Um, the, uh, the last years I worked specifically with the automotive industry, uh, an industry that, that's very, um, well, uh, not at the forefront of technology outside of the cars. <laughs> Um, and and uh, uh, also at that time it was a change because before you you had a monopoly if you sold Saab you sold Saab in a whole region and that was all that you could sell and when they joined with Opel you could have both uh, but then EU decided anybody that fulfills the requirement can sell a brand so uh, the systems that had previously been built were built by Saab and placed at the dealers now there was a need for system that uh, interoperated with several manufacturers and a new generation of systems. And people were so frustrated. Uh, so, so we're talking about the core ERP systems in automotive. Yeah. What, what, what type of systems is that? Uh, for selling a car, uh, putting all the Dealer pieces together. Configurator. Co the configurator, but also then sending the order to the car factory uh, to handle all the um, uh, accounting. Uh, when you come in for service and maintenance mm -hmm. and all your spare parts mm -hmm. uh, to have that in, in uh, a system that could handle that for, for different uh, makes. Several uh, types of cars. Yeah, several types of cars. Um, and and the, the previous systems, they had worked with them for maybe 10, 15 years and they were optimized for one, uh, one for make. Except. 
Saab or Ford or Volvo or whatever. And now they got a very modern system that was really great. And people were so frustrated. Mm-hmm. Uh, people sat crying at their desks. And, and, and when I went out and sat down, it was, okay, what's happening? We said, something is wrong with the system. It does not work. And our consultants said, yes, they do work and we have trained them. And people tried to do exactly what they had done in the old system. They printed papers, even <laughs> if it was supposed to don't print. You, everything is stored and it's sent to the guy uh, down at spare parts. You don't have to walk over there with a the paper. So, so I hear a journey from systems to project, from project to change management. Yeah. And at that time, I didn't know change management. I just knew that... Customers were frustrated and I was frustrated. So that was really, I saw that there is a need for something else. So, so this whole idea of adoption and to get, you know, it's not the technology that makes you rich or makes the car or the person or the customer happy. It's when they adopt it and can use it and get, that's when the value comes as yeah. a core principle. Yes, definitely. And, and as, as humans in a workplace, uh, what, what we think is value yes. is value for me, for doing my task. Mm. Uh, and for these kinds of systems, that's the whole flow. And sometimes when we drive change and, and adopt new ways of working and, and change the processes, um, it might not be the best for me, but on a whole. It's, it's fantastic. Yeah. And, but then this is a different type of change. Very exciting. But before we get into the whole topic yeah. of change, I'm just dying to get there. But it's, <laughs> I but, can tell. Yeah, <laughs> but it's also, so then you did that and what's, what next? Um, then I changed profession from, from sales to, to being a consultant. At that point, I didn't know. I j- changed my profession. I just thought that I would go and apply when I knew about sales and, and the support customers. But working as a consultant is a very different role uh, to in, instead of being the one in charge and actually uh, tell people what to do, you are uh, just by their side uh, uh, trying to the encourage them. Customers are always right in that sense. Yeah, uh, but but you are not the one doing it. You are helping the customer do it. Um, yeah, and, and this is important now. To we, we talk about one type of consultancy, maybe when you are hired to code something, and you are doing the work, and you give them a piece of code. But but if you want to get a sales organization to sell more, Anna or Henrik is not going to in and do this, do the sales. So whatever we do is about enabling and securing that the sales manager is doing the right thing and the sales guy is doing the right thing. So it's so it's different from a technology consulting to to change yeah. ultimately. Yeah. And no matter what kind of change, even in, in working in new processes or u- using new ERP systems, mm. I, I can be there in support, but it's always the manager that follow up and encourage and, and has to work with, with the individual. Uh, and, and sometimes uh, when you as a change manager arrive at a customer and say, oh, you're here to save us. You are now <laughs> going to do the change. Um, no. uh, so, <laughs> so, so the kind of consultants that we were at ProSales, that, that was the kind of consultant that, that helps the customer achieve uh, by themselves, but with guidance and, and support. Uh, and, um, uh, and also a big change, especially being in sales, uh, where you really lead teams and you win deals and, and you go for success. When you work as a consultant, um, when there is success, it is the customer. You are just a bystander. And, yeah. and that was a big change in the beginning to adopt to that, to just say, yeah, well done. <laughs> so, and, and so you worked several years with pro sales 
And you did, and, and what type of clients were you working with? And, and what, what, what were the type of projects? What do you do as a consultant within sales change management? The uh, uh, Ericsson, uh, the core three, the training on how Ericsson should drive their sales projects involving people from change, delivery, and, and um, um, the product. Um, sorry, the project. Um, I haven't even started drinking my wine. No. I can't <laughs> speak. Uh, so uh, a lot of projects with Ericsson actually facilitating workshops where we did these uh, business cases with them. And, and uh, we did that around the globe. Uh, also Scania Mining uh, that were driving a new way of selling instead of selling trucks and buses and, and motors. They were working towards an industry with all the products. So, so uh, a completely new way of selling. Uh, we work with uh, with Rico uh, in a change in their situation, going from selling copy machines to actually being an IT supplier. Uh, so really the, their, their whole offering changed and therefore the whole way of selling needed to change. Yeah. Um, so th those were some of the biggest, but also working with uh, some of the newspapers and banks and yeah, yeah. And, so and different kinds of customers. So, so it was change management in relation to a specific domain of sales operations, you could say. Yeah. And then I understand that uh, you then uh, at some time you, you went after pro sales and started to apply change and working with other industries. So, yeah. so when was that and how, how did that come about? Um, that was uh, 2014, after seven years in pro sales. Uh, and uh, really, uh, I mean, I, I knew sales. Um, so driving change and, and uh, applying that to sales was my comfort zone, <laughs> after a while at least, when I had learned to be a consultant. But uh, then to say, okay, can I do this in, in any context? So working uh, with, with companies where in, in completely different industries and uh, different kinds of changes, but still where you need to change the way people work, the way people behave. Yeah, so the common denominator here is that we want to address behavior and ways of working. And here we have a salesman's role or a sales manager's role. But of course, if you, if you are changing system in the accounting or the finance uh, role, change management, and adopting the new way of working that comes with whatever change is needed, wherever, wherever new system is coming in. Yeah, so um, uh, I, uh, since um, 2016, I have my own company mm -hmm. and, and work in, in all kinds of change management projects. So from GDPR, that's some people think that might be just technicalities, so, it's or, uh, th but it's all about change in behaviors. And that's where the really mm -hmm. tough part is. Um, still working uh, with changes for sales organizations. What we saw um, around 2010 were more and more sales moved to being e-business. Uh, what is then the role of a traditional salesperson? Uh, and um, uh, sometimes uh, I've also worked with municipalities where a lot of digitalization, AI, uh, and that affects behaviors in so, different ways. So uh, would you say that more and more of your work is driven on the basis of digitalization, job descriptions change. Yeah. And based on that, in order to get value out of digitalization, change management in connection with this is one core part of what you really work with on a daily basis. Yeah, yes, it is. Yeah, today it is. And 
we're soon going to jump in. Uh, um, but <laughs> I, I think one small paragraph before we go into deeper other topics. T- tell me a little bit about how you work and organize your company, because I think you're working in a super relevant modern way in, co- in, mo- in constellations fitting for the need at hand. Could you elaborate on uh, how you thought about your own entrepreneurship and uh, how you h- how do you work, you know, to effect change, which is, of course, maybe sometimes more than Anna needed? Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. Well. Well. Uh, I wanted to be able to to pick the the projects that I engage in uh, and and the customers that I work with. Uh, not so much, okay, this company, but these kind of people. Uh, where do I want to engage? Uh, and also to be able to do different projects uh, and then work together with people that I, I really trust and that that can support me uh, with other kinds of expertise or more of what I have when that is needed. So today, I uh, sometimes I'm, I'm asked by somebody to uh, fill in their project and, and I bring in people that I trust. Some I have an old colleague from, from Upnet. Uh, we started working together in 92. Um, uh, so... Um, I mean, that, that's uh, many, many years. And we always t- said that when we have our own companies, we will be working together. Yeah, we will. We will. So now we are. Uh, so I work with project managers, change managers, sales professionals to really work with the customers, uh, depending on what the customer needs. And I don't have a, 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 okay, this is the way I offer to work with you. Sometimes I go in and take the role as the change manager in a, a project or in a change. Sometimes I, I train uh, product managers or uh, leaders in change management. Uh, sometimes it's about giving a, a, a lecture or just being a speaker at a conference. And, um, and sometimes it's about coaching throughout uh, time for, for people that struggle with change. So I, I can ad- adopt that to what the customer needs. I think that was important coming from sales. It's all about the customer. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, uh, but of course, what, what do I think is fun? I want to work with what, what, what makes me tick. And, but- and yeah. But I think I think actually in one way it's a little bit about choosing who you want to work with and have, having fun. But I, I think there is a big, better, bigger, profound uh, realization here. I mean, like the way I I work now with Deradax and and the consultancy I'm running is it's you get to a point where depending on what the use case is, what you want to do, you need super super niche expertise. And if we bring yeah. that into the data AI space, is it is really a different team if I have a BI project on my hand. Or if I, I if I want to do neural networks and, and a recommender system, and then should I then have a company with all these consultants sitting, uh, you know, in one company? Will will one single company have this competence on really really deep level, or do we handpick the best constellation for the job at hand? So yeah. I I think this is quite modern. Yeah, yeah, and it's about it's about the the skills and the knowledge that yeah. people have, and it's also the way of working because yeah. cultures are different. Yes. So even if you have the skill, maybe uh, you're not the best to work with this customer. Uh, ah, this is so true. Yeah. And Especially so driving change because change is it's so much about getting under the skin of people, gaining trust, uh, and and um, so you really need to so, to so, fit in the culture. So the Finnish pitch gefühl on on who is the right profile person is the one hand, and also is the cross functional team 
is a constellation of different disciplines and skills. And then we need to, then we, we know we can't have any fat, right? We need to have the right people for the right job at hand. Yeah, I yeah, agree. Definitely. And, and when, when you're on your own, you really need to make sure you use the resources in the best way. You don't just yeah. idle around, no. do the necessary thing. And, and yeah. But this is a, gr a, a great uh, introduction of Anna, I think, and it has taken us into the change management topic. Uh, Anders, uh, why don't you uh, start us off in, in, in on, on any questions that you want to explore? And I have many, but I, I, <laughs> where do you want to start? Well, thanks for the question. And, and from a techie person, you know, it's uh, interesting to hear and sometimes a bit hard to follow also these kind of discussions. So I think it's uh, if we this. if that we try to can't follow my discussion. <laughs> <laughs> so if we were to try still to make you know the t the discussion we are having a bit more concrete, and if we take for example change management and just start to try to define. What do you mean with change management? Can you try to define it in a concise way to make people perhaps outside your business understand what that is all about? Um, the short version is that it's the people side uh, of a change. Mm -hmm. uh, a product manager can handle the, the technical side of a change. And a technical side, it's, it's, it doesn't have to be about computers or, or technology. That could also be designing a new organization to actually say, okay, these are the roles we need and these are the skills we need for each role. Change management is about uh, having the people affected by this uh, to actually embrace, adopt and use that the solution that the technical side brings. I think actually you mentioned in the beginning a good example of what the need is for this and, and what is the problem you're trying to solve. In one way, you said these kind of ERP systems you try to sell, I guess, and in some way you thought it was an amazing system and it should you know, make everyone happy, but in reality it did not, right? And, and that is the, the problem of change that I guess that some people, or is that really the, the point? And even if you have a great problem, uh, project or, or, or product or service that you want to sell that perhaps people don't really want to adapt to it or, or change in the traditional way they work. Is that really what they you try to solve or? Yeah, I mean, it's uh, it, in the end, it's about do people want to change? Do they see a benefit? Do they want to get on the ride? Do they mm. want to do this? And it's the same problem, like with any invention, you can have the best product, exactly. but if nobody knows about it or, or buys it, uh, you won't make a success. I'm, I'm sure throughout history, there have been so many excellent mm. innovations that never happened. Mm. Um, and in, in organizations, uh, if we talk about within organizations, somebody has spent a lot of time say, okay, we don't work in the best way within the company. We need to change that. So we get some system support to change the way we work and they set up requirements and, and they have been really thinking hard about it and choose between solutions and decide. And, and they have spent a lot of time and really understand why do we need this? Why is this best solution? And usually what happens is that, that it's announced to people, okay, we now have this system and then you train people to use it. And, and, and actually the, the person at the desk, it's sort of just landed in their knee as like, okay, why is there a problem? I don't understand why is there I've a I've been problem? working the same way. It was fine for me for the last 10 years. Why do I need to change to this stupid system process? Yeah. And, 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 uh, for, for somebody that, that doesn't have the full view and hasn't spent 
as much time. Uh, I, I usually get told that people, they just don't want to. Well, have you actually walked in their shoes to try to understand mm. what do they see from their point of view? Uh, because you see the full picture. What do mm. they see when they look at it? So, um, and, and uh, just go to yourself. Nobody wants to get told to do something. Yeah. You say, why? I mean, perhaps this is a good segue to the book as well. And, and we actually started speaking a bit about that in the beginning. And, um, and why can, can you perhaps start speaking a bit more about, you know, why did you start working with this book? What is the need you're trying to help with, with the book that they wrote? Uh, to get an understanding that uh, th there is nothing wrong with project management, but it needs some add-ons. So it's not sufficient with project management. It needs something else. Is that what you're if, saying? If what you're implementing uh, uh, requires people to change behaviors or ways of working, then it won't be. Uh, and then how much change management you need depends on what kind of change and um, um, what are people's thoughts about the change. But... Uh, what we wanted to do by writing the book was to really look from a Swedish perspective, I mean, the size of the companies we have here, the culture that we have here, uh, how can we make sure that we start sending people out of universities with, with the knowledge of change management? Because it's, it's not just about having good change managers. You also need people in an organization asking for change management, nice. for leaders to say, yes, uh, we are going to do this. We need project management and we need change management uh, to, to put that in. Um, and the book is called Förändringsledning, is that correct? Yeah. And Change it's being, management. It's being translated to English right now, right? Yeah. And that the, the name of the English version will be what? Do you have you defined that? Yes, or? change management. Really? Oh, that's simple. <laughs> <laughs> so what, why make it, uh, why, why make it uh, difficult? Mm. Okay, so perhaps then uh, one additional question and perhaps just to make it a bit more easy to, to understand for, for people like me as well, if we were to find some concrete example that we can talk around, perhaps something you brought up in a book or Taking something like, I know my mother, for example, she was forced into um, a digitalized journal system working as a nurse. And that was a horrible experiment, uh, experience for her and she hated every minute of it. Um, and, and probably because the product at that time was really bad. But still, you know, do, do you have a good example that we can speak around uh, so we can understand the differences between product management and change management in some good way? Um, we, we can take a, a small example from a municipality. Uh, I have that in the book. Um, mm. What they were going to do was to digitalize all the uh, the paperwork needing for for the public meetings. So mm. I mean that's regulated in law. You need to send out all the meet uh, all the the uh, documents for a meeting a certain amount of days before the meeting. Everybody needs to bring them, and, and yeah, a lot of photocopying. And what they wanted to do was to digitalize it. So everybody would have an iPad with an app and all the documents would be uh, pushed to that app. Right. Uh, and uh, uh, so, I mean, then they could be, uh, you didn't need to copy it, it didn't get lost in the mail and nobody would forget it when they came to, to the meeting. Uh, in the municipalities, uh, the steering, um, they are politicians on their free time which means that they had other work uh, during the daytime. And the uh, ages reached from 20 years to 82. Ooh, that's uh, so, uh, and, and 
if it was a project, it would have been, okay, we need uh, iPads. Uh, we uh, will write a manual on how to create an Apple ID, how to download the app and how to use the app. And then we will bring in the suppliers uh, and we will uh, book uh, training so people can use it. And, and then we go. And that should work for 82 year olds as well at that point. Yes. <laughs> okay. uh, so, but, but, but the, um, the, the, the chairman uh, was very visionary and also the IT department said, okay, maybe we, we should do this in a different way because we might have some problems. Uh, and we had been working with them in, in other projects before that. So, so we took on another approach to say, okay, what do we need to do in terms, how, how do we um, bring everybody on board? We don't want to bore the 20 years old and tell them how to create an Apple ID. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and the 82 year olds, uh, well, they might have grandchildren, but we can't just assume that they will know it. Um, so the first thing was to bring on the IT department and, and say, okay, we're going to do this a bit differently. We are going to ask you to work in the evenings because that's when they have their meetings. That's when people can do this. Um, and, and for you to actually be support and walk around in the room and support people. And, and, and we got them on board. Uh, so we've never done anything like it. And I don't think people will, will learn, but okay, we'll do this. <laughs> um, uh, so, so, and, and we, we started before their meetings, those that wanted help could come there and, and create it. And also the chairman, uh, we had 15 minutes in the beginning of the first meeting where he told everybody, why are we doing this? Why is this important? Why are we going away from the papers, moving into iPads? Uh, and, and we understand that for some of you, this is going to be challenging, but we have support and these guys are here to support you. Uh, and, and the first phase was just create your Apple ID. And then the next meeting a month later is what, okay, download the app. And that was then the training with the supplier. We had one hour at the beginning of their meeting. Had never happened before that you could do that kind of stuff in, in those official meetings. Um, and then the third time, those that wanted could actually use that one instead of the papers. Uh, so they could read, uh, make, take notes and just use the iPad. Um, and at the beginning of that meeting, we, we talked about, okay, have you all been able to open the app? Are there any problems? Guys from IT, they are here and they walked around during the whole meeting, so around the table helping people. And then the fourth time it was only digital. Uh, and the people at the administration say it's never going to work, you know, just go like that. So they were in the back with a lot of stacks of paper. <laughs> Uh, and it actually worked. And, and afterwards, the IT guy said, when, when, when you told us about doing it this way and, and involving people and, and adapting it to all and, and uh, involving the chairman to speak about it and take time out of their meetings, we thought you were crazy, but okay, let's try. And said, we have never had a project go this smooth. And it took so much less time that we had calculated so, so had it been a project, it would have been rolled out and it would have been delivered, uh, but it probably wouldn't have worked. Um. But, but let me summarize from another angle now, because I think this around change management boils down to uh, how do you define a metric of a, uh, a successful implementation, operationalizing AI or a project? And typically what me and Anna found early is that, uh, or even, even all the bad way back. And people should maybe know that you have worked together. Well, we have worked together. Yes. Actually, we worked, uh, I, I worked in Upnet Mercantil lot and we worked at the same time there, but not really close. 
but then we work a uh, little bit closer in, in in pro sales but on other projects but we i mean like we how should i put it we i share your journey i share your understanding of the journey and what i do today and and the way we have talked about this uh, is a little bit like how do you define success of an ai project or any systems project is it that you have uh, implemented a system is it that you have you know done the training or is it the metric of adoption and people are working in a new way and for me change management is a little bit like you know what when i go in i can spend i have i have 10 million in budget do i spend all 10 million on pure technology probably not going to work i need to spend a little bit of money on on project management you know to organize the technicalities of how i build topics and then anna says and i say actually have you thought about making adoption your metric and do you have a strategic design for how you're going to drive change mm-hmm. so as as if you're deli- it's like amazing right we spend 1 billion for a system change and we have the professional stuff how we work with the system part and then all of a sudden we stop uh, is like doing a marathon and stopping uh, you know uh, one uh, 50 kilo, you know five kilometers out of from the goal and say I, i'm not going to plan and i'm not going to orchestrate the last kilometers i'm just going to take that i'm going to roll with that on, on a hunch Would you agree with that, Anna? Yes, definitely. And your question about the difference between project and change management. Project management, I mean, mean, it has a set set of ways of working. It's very Mm. well defined with roles and and the goals you have. And and the project, when when you close the project, uh, Mm. that's when the solution is delivered and accepted. Uh, change management goes on because change management is about actually what, when you started a project, you wanted some return on investment. Uh, so change management is really bringing home that return on investment. So that could go. And, and, um, then the question is, okay, for how long? Um, and it's okay. So how long is a rope? Because the speed of adoption, uh, w- will, uh, depend a lot of how well prepared was it. Change management is often brought in a couple of months after the project has been closed because they didn't get the return on investment and we need to change people. Mm-hmm. But if you have it from the beginning, then yeah, you and, get and that but, but let me give an example then from a tech point of view as well. And, and I'm not, yeah, let's say a company I worked for in the past and, and uh, we had this kind of discussion about we want to change a part of a product, some kind of service. And that's just for sake of argument, say it was about um, the color of some button. It was not, but, but still, you know, it's some kind of change in how a product worked. And then we had a choice of either, either you know, doing the, the data-driven A-B testing kind of thing and trying to see, you know, what really does work when, and what, ca- what will make users more happy. And then you have a, a more like a, a experienced senior product owners that, that, that know and have a lot of experience in, you know, traditionally these kind of changes will work or not work. And um, I, I know f- from that time, it was a lot of heated discussion about, you know, why the data driven like A-B test did not show the true value and it was measured wrongly or the data wasn't collected properly. And in reality, the experience that uh, senior product owners have always trumps in some way what the de- data says in some way. That was a big conflict, I know, uh, and really hard. And it's partly true. I mean, data that is used to, to try, try to drive an A-B test can be very wrong in many cases. 
but this was a big conflict. And how, let's say that, what do you think is wrong with that? Uh, how can we do it better? If we were to say that, okay, we want to make this change in a product, we want to make either change A or change B. We don't know which one, but we're going to find out somehow. And then you can choose to do it by you know, having people that are experienced and, and know from past what works and does not, and then data that may be wrong, but at least it's in some sense objective, hopefully. But then people have such a big skepticism in some way for doing that, and it was really hard to, to make them accept, so to speak, the results of these tests. How, how should you make that transition in becoming more data-driven, more successful? We had a lot of problem with that. And, and, and that is the same kind of challenge when, that, that we have when we start interacting with, with, with robots and, and whatever is not human. You had mm -hmm. a discussion a few programs ago about uh, doctors and, and uh, AI. Um, and we don't, we, we want to interact with humans if, even if they are more faulty because mm -hmm. we trust humans. Right. Uh, and I trust for a sentiment coming from a human than some yes, kind of exactly. metric from a data, right? Yeah. And, and how do you, uh, uh how do you then do that? So, so you have to recognize that that is the case. Uh, whatever comes from, from a computer or, or uh, data driven is going to be looked at with skepticism. Right. How do we involve humans and how do we make it human? Uh, and, and find the individuals that, that others will trust to help them. Um, I'm, I'm not exactly sure of what kind of data you're looking at, but for example, with chatbots, uh, people um, don't really like that. You want to talk to somebody. But if you have a chatbot make uh, typhos, they, they misspell and I mean, they act more human. Then people are more, uh, um, uh, they, they want to continue the conversation. Right. And, and so how can you make <laughs> the data more human? Because that, that is a challenge. Even if uh, those that are born now, that are born into a digital society, our brains look for something human. And, and that's why we get so annoyed at computers because we think they are human and they just don't understand us. Mm. <laughs> um, it's like being rejected by a person, which is a horrible feeling. So, But, sure. but I think we can go into an, a new topic here. And, and, and I think the main theme here is uh, the implications of uh, succeeding with uh, augmented intelligence. Because uh, okay. uh, in one way here, I mean, like to do a recommender system behind the scenes that no one really knows about that then is consumed in Spotify and everything I feel, I feel I get a better intuitive uh, user experience doesn't really drive a change management uh, problem necessarily. If, if you design it well enough, uh, you know, the experience will be good. But, but if I flip it now and say, I want to uh, augment a 60 year old surgeon in his daily ways of working as a surgeon. And, who, and you have parents working in this area. Yeah, so you so have I'm, experience I'm on this. I'm, I'm talking about, I can, hi Gunnar, that's my father, <laughs> born 53. <laughs> but if I, if I take the example now that someone would come to my father and to say, I want you to put on Google glasses and, and, uh, and uh, have the, uh, have the AI brain next to you. And then we have the, they have the fundamental topic, how he has been trained, actually how he has trained hundreds of doctors in his career. Uh, and now he needs to change the way he looks at his process. 
how how is my process as a surgeon going to be when it now is augmented with AI? So if if we take that, so let let's talk about my my father is now. I mean, like the the hospital wants to change this for for everyone. And this is the case study, and ultimately in the end we're going to have a super senior överläkare uh, that is you know the gods, and then you're going to have junior doctors, and then you're going to have nurses, and all of a sudden they're going to have an AI based system. But let's make this simple. If Anna were to help your father make a change. Yeah, how would you do it? Anna? Yeah, actually, let's see who is the sponsor. So my 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 father was uh, he- head of the surgeon department for Drottning Silvia's Bonchukus. So I guess he could be the sponsor here. He could uh, in, when he had that role, he would have been the sponsor of an AI project. How they do? Uh, I mean, let's take, let's make it a bit more clear. Let's me uh, as an AI tech person come up to your father and say, you know. I have this awesome robotic ch- uh, surgery um, product. It can do surgery much better than you ever can. And now you should uh, start using it. Why don't you? But but let, let me let me make it make like, make the situation a little bit more tricky. Okay. Because if my I think fa- that's hard enough. By no, the way, no, no. Because okay. if my father got engaged with a good tech person, it's about then him convince, convincing selling to my father, and then my father would be in bo- on board from the beginning, and maybe together with with this tech person, engage and, and build the project. But I make it even worse. Uh, the boss of my father is saying they have a really cool AI system they use in Karolinska, and tomorrow you should start using it. Okay. So he's not even the ba- he. Th- it is not his baby. That's what I'm, I'm saying. Like one part is you know how do you change when it's your baby, and then it's my father who needs to drive maybe the change. I l- I like this and I want to change it in my in organization, but typically my uh, you know my father got it because Karolinska does it. So uh, how how do we go about that dilemma or project? Yeah, uh, and and this is a discussion in many organizations today because many want to talk about uh, teams driving the change and agile teams, and and they come up with the suggestion. But the reality is that sometimes uh, they tell you to use what Karolinska did, and you can't argue with it. Exactly. Or GDPR, yeah. yes, it's here. You can't say no, I won't do it. So exactly. you just have to buy into it. And and those uh, that is the kind of change that the book is is uh, okay. aiming at, mm-hmm. because that is the toughest. Um, and, and in the case, uh, if they say uh, it's been chosen and you start using it tomorrow, that, that would be the typical one where I get in after s- some time. And then you have to do some backward engineering to see, okay, why was this chosen? Uh, and start to involve everybody that has a, a leading role to say, okay, can we form a coalition with, with those that had influence here? Um, and, and to really talk about what what is... Um, if, if you could have chosen, what would have been a reason to do this? And what is your greatest fear doing this? Because it's ultimately it's about you get a new colleague. Uh, can you trust that colleague? The AI colleague. The AI colleague. Mm-hmm. And, and a lot of, I mean, that's the case in, in social security work in, in many mus- municipalities. They have a colleague that is a robot. Um, so, so you get a new colleague. Uh, can you trust that colleague? And what if that colleague uh, is better than I am? Uh, what am I going to do? 
Um, now, I'm, I'm sure there, there will still be need for surgeons as long as he's working. But, but if you're in your 40s and, and you start to wonder, okay, what am I going to do uh, if they replace me with robots? Uh, and many times, okay, but then the robot can do some things and you can focus on, on developing and doing other parts. Uh, and if your father is a bit like you, he would probably <laughs> buy into that. Um, but those that don't, that, that are really held back by fear. So backward engineering is really about, okay, what do we don't want to do to explain to people what are the situation going forward? If they have a colleague, what would their work look like? What's your father's work uh, in, in one year, in two years? What does his work day look like? So let's break down like the mechanisms here. So basically we're, we're trying to understand, help me now, what is the change? What, what is what what is the change all about? To, be, to to take whatever we are taking fluffy now. We are not talking fluffy. What change is is a little bit like concretely, Dad. How did you do this procedure before, and how is the best way to do it now with that with this augmented approach? To really be concrete on that. So this is to to really uncover all the bullshit, all the f- hype. Down to what is the concrete difference in ways of working? This but is but one. Is that really what you recommend, or but how would that, you that component? Is, uh, this is one that's, component. That's one layer of it. Yes. Then you have the top layer. Okay, now that you you need to change the way you work, and with training that could be done if you have a motivation for it. But on top of that, okay. So, but how will my role? Uh, yes. a, as a surgeon, somebody that people comes to for expert advice. Yes. Now I have somebody that actually is is more expert than I am. Uh, what will my role look like? What what's going to be in that role? So so when I do my surgery, this process will change, but also my role will change. What is that going to look like? To to really envision what that will be uh, going forward. Yeah, so, uh, so, so we are building a foundation here where, where it starts with the very concrete stuff and then you go into the personal perspective of that individual's roles, I guess. Yeah. This is what we're talking about. And, and then uh, I think also another, another key area we can talk about is comfort zone. Because typically we all have our comfort zones, right? This is behavioral change uh, and you are, you are used to doing things in a certain way and now I stretch you. So it's, there's layers of layers of different things that needs to be addressed for this to really accelerate. I think that's one way of... But, but if you try to just close this topic a bit and, and, and just have, you know, if people that read your book um, want to know, you know, or people that should read your book rather, you know, um, what kind of, kind of advice, if you were to summarize, summarize it very briefly, um, could that be? So I guess you can do things in a very wrong way. I think we explained a number of really bad ways to do change management and simply saying, you know, just do product management. Here is a new product. Please use it. And that won't work, right? And, and then, you know, what do you do to alleviate that? How, how do you make that process, the change process better? If you were to try to just, you know, in three bullet points or something, try to summarize, you know, what can you do to improve that? How would you summarize that? Um, For those that that initiate change uh, projects or or initiatives or or whatever you want to call it, Consider change management from the very beginning when you set up. Listen to somebody. Before you start a project even. Yeah, before you start the project Mm, and with everybody involved. Yeah. Um, And involve uh, people from that are actually going to be affected earlier than you think. Mm. 
many organizations, they want to have the perfect solution and all the answers before they start communicating, which means that people, uh, they don't even have the last kilometer. I mean, they're this close and now it's happening. So they can't really digest it. Um, so take it into consideration, involve people earlier than you think, and then keep going. Because even if you did a lot of good things uh, and you follow the book, um, not everybody will be be there when you thought. You will have to continue to have some perseverance, go mm-hmm. through with it. Uh, Many people that are, are uh, creative and get find new things, you know, you, they also lose interest a bit early. Mm. So before the project is ready, they found something new. Right. So that is for, for, for the sponsors for, for a change, uh, to hold on to them for dear life throughout and, and to stay there until you actually have the return on investment. Mm. Uh, because if, if somebody like your father, if they have had several projects like this at the uh, hospital and they know that they never go all the way and sometimes they end early or or it's changed along the way you don't engage people don't engage so you have to be very clear okay what why why is this change going to be different i think it's connected a lot to what we have said a bit in a previous episode as well to commit to deploy in some way and and what we have mentioned in that this past is good Uh, is that I think what you said, you know, was really profound now, which is, you know, even before the project start, you should really speak to the stakeholder and the real users to make sure that they are on board and, you know, are excited about, you know, doing this even before it starts and having their feedback, you know, how to do that. But then also not to just like build a prototype and stop there and say, you know, now I'm going to move on to the next thing. And, and to really be able to move the prototype into production and being able to have that integrated properly into the business processes that you have is something that I think a lot, especially in AI, people are missing. So if, if, I think it connects really well to what no, we have said. Okay, right? I get goosebumps, Anders. Mm-hmm. I get goosebumps mm-hmm. because uh, Anders likes to get nerdy on the technical side and he always, uh, he always tells me, you know, we should go deeper and deeper and deeper. Yeah. So now Anders, you should not stop me from going deeper on this topic. Please, I, I will not. So, Maybe. so, okay. so the, the bottom line we are talking about now is that if you don't have the commitment to deploy, I mean, like we are talking about the, a- how do we do data and AI as industrialized data and AI ready? We are living, breathing it. Uh, we have changed our operations. We are working. We are, we are in a different era right now. Vision, right? And then we say it, it starts with the one single use case or project that, you know, if, you, if your idea is that you will prototype something, dip your toes, you're never going to get it. And then, you know, we had a passionate discussion with the techie guys, commit to deploy. Now, let's talk about what commit to deploy really means, Hendrik and Anna <laughs> perspective, because it's not the same as yeah, when they okay. talk. Okay. So, so for me, when I work at Scania now, let's take the own example here is like, how does a use case life cycle look like? How does that idea phase, validation, development, adoption, industrialization, continuous improvement look like? And what do we do now? With the business people, with the technology people in the early phases, you said it, we need to start committing them early. So when I talk with my guys, I do the change management in the ideation phase. And then I do something else in the develop, in, in the, in the design phase. And I do something else in the development phase. And then by the way, now we have built a system. It's fantastic. I have three stages left. So commit to deploy means three more stages than what the tech guys think it means. Yeah. 
So sure. let's let's, so let's talk about let's take a use case life cycle. How would we see this from the how is the perfect change management process or no actually the use case life cycle from idea to production in the perfect book example how you would like to see this from the user or uh, you know business perspective. So when should they be involved? What's the idea phase? When do we do these things to to work in a sort of the right order of attack, the, the yeah. optimized order? Do you see what I'm talking about? Yeah, I, I think so. And you will have to correct me if I didn't. Uh, but it's back to what we talked. You should involve people much, much earlier than you think. That's the mm-hmm. bottom line of it. Uh, and, and to really talk about the different perspectives when you bring a lot of different people on board. Why are we doing this really in the early stage when yeah. you are just playing? And So I give you, I, I give us a lingo now. And then we use follow that together to really dissect this now. So now we're in the ideation stage. Someone has a cool idea that we could do AI and they master up some sponsorship and get get some ideas here. So you bring in the guys that you know are the ones that would always raise their hand and say, I have a question. And and you permit them to, to tell you why this won't fly. Exactly. Uh, in the idea phase. Good. In the Good idea idea. phase, because like that's I when like you it. will find, okay, what kind of resistance will we meet when we move on? And, and some things you will be able to take away really early. Uh, and, and the, the guys that, that some, um, some people say, okay, they don't want to do anything, but what they really do, they are the ones that can see the flaws and see what could stop us. And they know the way that they, they work or, or whatever. So they could really be valuable. So, so the people, in the organization, those that are going to use it. Um, because in, it's systematically then, I mean, like if we, if we go a lean startup kind of idea, I don't want to spend a lot of investment on AI guys like Andesh on some things that I can identify in two meetings, it will never fly. Bottom line, right? Yeah. Or you could tell Anders that you have this excellent idea and this is what we want, but they are telling us these things won't fly. How can we handle that? Because then Mm. Anders can help you solve that uh, or some things maybe not. And then when you move on, you can tell people that, okay, this is what we're going to do. Um, We know this will be difficult and we can't handle it. So Mm. you will just have to live it. Uh, sometimes what people do is try to sell traditionally when they come with changes. They just when say, push, talk, push. Yeah, put, talk about all the good mm. things. Life is going to be great. And it, oh, this will solve all our problems. And, and you create a picture that you will never be able to deliver on. Okay, so now we take one step more. So now we have concluded that the naysayers or the question sayers who might be, it's both about understanding resistance and, and change that you will come up with, but maybe also get some good ideas how you define something early. Now we go, go into some sort of feasibility of validation stage. So the idea has gone through and we are now trying to sort of feature engineer. We're trying to build the system. So what's the change perspective in, in this validation or prototype stage? What's the change part here? Um, again, it's, it's the seeing, okay, uh, what we thought in the beginning would change is that's what's happening. Yep. Uh, and, and what kind of reactions again here, bring, bring, bring the naysayers in, uh, what reactions do we get when we try to val- validate it? Um, uh, but I think this would be the phase where, where you don't need it as much as in the beginning and then in the next step, but still they, they should be there. Yeah. And, and okay. And then we, then, then the prototype shows good results. We built the model and it proved 
proved successful. And now we say, okay, let's scale this up. So now we go into hardcore development from a small uh, model, and now we're going to deploy it. So we're actually going to not only think about the model itself, but we're going to think about how it's used, how it's consumed, in what stage it fits. And of course, technically, we're going to put it in production. What's the change management perspective of the development side to, to deploy it so it will be used? Um. It's, it's really connecting it to to the processes and, and new ways of working. How will okay. how will how will this influence it? And and what do we need to do to handle it going forward? Um, so it's a lot about the usability, right? So we have an AI and it's a recommender system, as an example. But but how will it actually be used in everyday life? So in the development side, it's the usability aspect of. You know, oh, this is a great AI, but it's too much information to do in such a short time. I need to simplify the GUI or whatever. But I think it's a bit more. I can just speak abstractly about one project at least that we tried to imply and, and or implement. And um, we were trying to use AI to simply make the process more efficient for humans. I think that's the best way to use AI. But still, um, we and, and let me just speak. I can't speak in ex exact details, um, but I can and mention briefly that you know we had a set of a process that meant that humans, you know, day after day, went through a number of documents and were trying to say yes or no, we can comply with this requirement or not. If you can comply with the requirement, they can you know, sell the product that they have. If they cannot, then they won't sell the product. And it's a lot of work to go through all the documents and the product descriptions, they have PDF documents and whatnot. But that was what the humans were doing. And they had a huge number of people that went through all the documents and tried to see do they comply or not by a set of like 50 requirements so or something. So it's right? an AI system for RFQ type. RFP. RFQ, it, request RFQ. for proposals. Yeah. Yep. And, and then we said, you know, obviously this is very time consuming for humans to do, you know, going through a large number of PDF documents is not an easy thing for humans to do. Perhaps we can just help by having an AI system in the loop, so to speak, to search through the things. And then we, we built the system and then we, we had an evaluation, you know, with the people that were accustomed to using it in the traditional way. And they felt, you know, mm, this is a bit strange, you know, why can't I simply, you know, use my Excel sheets? Why can't I simply, you know, search in, in the PDF documents use in the normal way I do? And we didn't, I, I would say, do the proper change management in that uh, case. And, and I'm trying to think, you know, how could we have done it differently? And I, I think what you have, I think you already said the answer in some way. We should have actually spoken to the people working with this in the beginning and saying, you know, if you were to do this in a more efficient way, how would you like to do it or something? We instead, you know, did it the opposite way and, and said, okay, We did something great for you. Yeah, this exactly. is a present for you. Aren't yes. you happy? Yeah. Um, and that is the case in so many solutions of this kind. Yeah. Um, and one, of course, is they weren't involved. But then the second part is, I mean, anybody can understand, okay, if we save a lot of time, Will we downsize? Mm. Will I lose my job? Exactly. Yes. So, I mean, my, the, a, a basic human reaction is, okay, who is going to have to leave the company? Mm. Uh, and then many say, ah, but then you can spend time on doing more complex stuff. Yeah. Uh, and, and that is correct. But then you have to be very clear on, okay, what is the things that you want people to do instead? Yeah. 
what kind of of uh, skills do they need? Do they have them? And to talk to everybody because some people actually enjoy going through filling out excels that is uh, i mean that's fulfilling mm. uh, some people have got accustomed to filling the excels yeah. so they just need to get out of that pattern yeah. um, and some will say oh finally i can go and do this uh, but you need to be clear on that part so not just involve them but also have a very clear vision and i would say that that almost every management team miss out here you don't consider okay what do we want to do with these people when when we uh, have the ai what should they do instead mm. and how do we talk to people and how do we handle do we have a story here yeah the story yeah. Uh, but also to be very uh, that's another reason why many projects fail mm. okay if somebody won't move on what are we going to do uh, mm. so um just because you were right in a position, I mean, if you were uh, excellent at filling out the Excels mm. for 20 years, um, maybe you're not right when you are in a more consultative role or whatever they wanted to do with these people. Um, and, and then what do we do? Do we help them to train for something else? Do we give them an exit? And and managers are, are that, that's at least my experience, mm. <coughs> walk away from that and say, okay, but if they don't like the new job, they will get another. So this is an important part of change management. So, okay, what is, when we have this fantastic tool, uh, what's then going to happen with our group? Hmm. And I'd just like to add, because I think it's so often that you, s you phrase AI in the terms that it will replace jobs. And I actually do not think that's the most common scenario. So just to, to at least give my view on, on what really happens is that instead of, replacing humans. I think they can actually do augment humans. And I think, you know, it's a big difference to what AI can do today or what humans can do today. And, and just to make that, you know, difference clear, you know, AI, for example, can go through a huge amount of data very quickly. It can go for, through a thousand PDF documents in a second. A human cannot do that. And then it can recommend perhaps these are potential, you know, pieces of information that you can make use of. And then a human, which has a much broader knowledge and a more generic type of reasoning, can ingest that uh, information in a much more intelligent way. And by combining, you know, the two, I must argue, you have the best of both worlds. So then yeah. you have something that can go through a huge amount of data, AI, and you have a much deeper type of reasoning from humans that you wouldn't otherwise be able to do. And, and if you just do the human, they can't go through all the data, so you don't have the context. But with the data and human combined, I would argue you get the best of both. And then you don't replace humans. You simply make them more efficient and increase the quality of the work you do. Yeah, and you, I completely agree with you. Yeah. <laughs> I'm, I'm absolutely uh, on Good. the same page there. But that is not the way that we see it in society exactly. currently. It's a yes. shift in it's paradigm. Not the way it's portrayed, and I think that's a so dangerous view that is being portrayed. Yeah. But, but I, I think this is I get goosebumps all the time now because it's uh, for me this Maybe is you're a, just cold. I mean, no, <laughs> it could be. But but it's, I think I think we are profound in the terms that we are getting into the, some of the core topics. So one of the core topics is how we really understand AI and how it will really benefit. And I can't see it benefiting in any other way than augmented intelligence for the foreseeable future. But as soon as you say that it's a fundament, that that's the way AI is going to be done, it means orchestration of change 
in order to augment the behavior of the individual person is going to be a first class concern. So actually for you to succeed with your vision, how much is tech and how much is people is the fundamental question then. And, and, and to me then it becomes this statement uh, to succeed operationalizing AI is not about robots. It's about people. And that's, you know, and, and then basically, how do we now design and invest? How do we invest as companies in the change part in relation I mean, to If I this? may add to that, robots and AI, two completely different yeah, yeah. things as well. Yeah, yeah. Very little AI in robots to start with. Yeah, yeah. So, okay, that's another question. But, hmm? Yeah, but AI, I mean, so to adopt algorithms or recommender systems yep. is more about people yep. than the algorithm. Well, or you can phrase it like, the, the way that products are built today are too much focused on the tech part and too little on the people part. Yes, but I think this right. is also in interesting. Let's We can take another angle on this. There is one thing how we have had a recommender systems succeed quite well in the consumer mm -hmm. space mm -hmm. with, with like Spotify using recommender systems or Amazon using recommender systems versus when we take AI recommender systems into B2B space or professional professions, you know, how we need to change uh, the public, like like a, a, a public servant or a doctor, or even now I'm, I'm talking about how the job is done in, in a manufacturing plant. Mm -hmm. So I think there is a slight, it's a complication here, like we, intuitively, the, you know, the best AI I think today, which is augmenting the human, the human doesn't even know the AI is there. I mean, like a beautiful well, I, system. I would phrase it like differently. You know, the, the horrible part of the digitalization process that we've seen in the last 10, 10 15 years, you know, take the nurse example, yeah. you know, having to write in the journal in, in a computer instead of writing with pen and paper has been a horrible process. It's been really bad. Um, and if we can use AI, which is different from digitalization, to make that process much more natural, yeah. that will actually make this digitalization process much more smooth and easier to use. I, I hope people see the differences here between digitalization yeah, but, and but AI. But elaborate on this, Andes, because I don't think people get the difference here. Because what you are saying now, if, if we're using AI technique like natural language processing, mm. which allows me even to talk to the computer or, you know, to, to, to do whatever I do, and the AI then translates them into systematic process instead of me having to type it all. Mm. So now I'm talking about even the AIs seamlessly integrating with how people normally work. Yep. And it's basically making the translation over to the systematic approach that we don't really. Yeah. That's a quite a, interesting disti distinction. A quick example, then I'd like to, to move into another topic with you as well um, about Amazon, etc. But just to give an example of this, because I think it's important to see. And, and if we take the medical domain once again, and uh, we can see previously, you know, you had as a medical profession to sometimes fill out a form saying this is the ICD-19 code of doing whatever diagnosis you had, or you have to fill out this kind of marker or cursor-based kind of, cursor kind of uh, diagnosis that you have or symptoms that you have. Instead, if you simply could write a natural language saying, this is actually what happened, and I write it in Swedish or English, and then you have an AI that can understand natural language text, you don't have to have this kind of very structured and not really well-formatted kind of forms that doesn't really fit what we would like to write. You can simply write what you mean and then use AI to, to understand that. And I think that makes it easier for the humans. 
it makes it more efficient in the end to process it because you can you have a more flexibility in write what you want. Yeah, because then there is a, an advantage to me. Yes, I, I get an, uh, there, there is a very user. strong why yeah. <laughs> when I go into it, yeah. uh, but I can totally understand. Uh, I, I think you said your mother yeah. worked as a nurse exactly. because digitalization, which means instead of paper uh, doing it digitally, that has uh, been driven by cutting down workforce. Yeah. And I mean, in, in hospitals, for example, all the secretaries were, were taken away. So nurses and doctors uh, had to type themselves. Mm -hmm. uh, so not only uh, was it that you couldn't write with a pen and paper, but you lost a lot of people and had to do this exactly. kind of work. And, and of course, that's not in the favor of AI when people mix that up mm -hmm. and say, okay, it's going to be easier. I think it's being conflated a lot, yeah. you know, and, and the two. And, and for the police or whatever, I mean, you have this kind of situation where you have to spend so much time on administration mm. instead of doing the real work. And, and I think AI can actually help a lot with that. Yeah, and you took the example of, of companies where, where you go on a website as a consumer and, and any uh, company that, that uh, wants you as a customer, they will immediately adopt to what you want. They, they will have a drive, an economic drive to change. But what we are talking about here in hospitals, police and so on. Uh, I it's mean, not they, my drive. Uh, and, 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 but, and they are also much more regulated. I, I've worked with elder service and social service and a lot of the fantastic potential things you can do is limited because we have laws. Uh, you talked about this some weeks ago that, that uh, technology is an enabler, but then it's okay, what do we use it for and, and do laws and regulation follow? Um, so, uh, and, uh, but, but there is a huge uh, possibility in, in, in the, the public sector. Yeah. Um, but we have a couple of topics now, and I think we should, we should, let's go to the Amazon case now. And then yeah. I would, uh, then I would like to talk about change and possibilities yeah. and, 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 and change management around these topics. I, I think it's a good segue to move to GDPR because you already mentioned it a couple mm -hmm. of times, and then uh, we can come to Amazon. Um, Amazon because I think it's going to be even better segue yeah. there. Yeah. Good point. Yeah. So let's so let's continue then more or less. So you, you're segueing into change management in the public sector and how this is also you need to take another dimension of ch change management because you're dealing with regulations. Yeah. So uh, if you can continue explore, I think this is. But if we try, try to to define the, the topic at the hand, so to speak, regulation is a big problem in many ways, and we had new laws coming in in 2018 that we had to adapt to and change to, right? And you had worked quite a lot with GDPR as well, right? Yes, uh, and and I, I worked with this in in, in unions, yeah. um, and and uh, so I'm working within those organisations. And uh, I think when when you tell somebody about GDPR, everybody can uh, agree that it's good that our personal information is protected. Yeah. Um, and uh, uh, in a union, I mean, they work for the good of people. They don't want to sell bad products. So uh, the challenge is, okay, why do we have to change everything? Because we don't want to do bad things. And especially unions, uh, to be a member of a union is a, a critical um, uh, 
information, just like medical information and, and religion and so on. Data. Sensitive, sensitive data, yeah. yeah. Uh, and um, uh, so, so the challenge is really okay, this is a regulation that we, or law that we think is good, but why do we ch need to change? Because mm -hmm. it's really a hassle. You can't send emails, you can't have your old, yeah. old data, you need to go to the system, it changes a lot, and you need to close your door and close your computer. And, and, and why do we need to do that? And it is to protect us. Mm -hmm. And, and with so the intention is good. Really. The like intention this. is good, and and to have people understand that even if your intention is good, you need to protect. Uh, and and in Sweden, it's not a, a, a dramatic thing to be a member of a union, uh, but it is in other countries. And a lot of people that come here come from countries where it is, and it might change here as well. You don't mm. know. Um, so we need to uh, conform with this. Uh, and. Uh, um, Sometimes they get really annoyed with us when they go, oh, we want to do this really good thing for our members. And I say, oh, I can't do that <laughs> because that is not the purpose uh, that you collected their uh, personal data. So you yeah. can't do it. Um, uh, or you have to have security uh, so it's impossible to work in the system. Um, so so that, that, that is the challenge. Of course, we want to protect with laws or information. Um, and, and that is when it comes to social services for municipalities, when, when you uh, have income support, uh, there has been some AI implemented in municipalities, but there are uh, court cases right now where, where it's being questioned if, if it's right to do it that way. Mm. Uh, so it, it can help, but is it allowed? So, so I mean, I, I've seen a lot of bad examples of how GDPR's, you know, implications or ramifications of in being implemented has, has turned out rather poorly, even though the intention is, is bad. Um, and Did you mean the intention was bad? No, Ooh. sorry, intention was good. Sorry. <laughs> yeah. Thank you for correcting Freudian me. Freudian slip, I would say. <laughs> intention, of course, is great, and we want to make sure that we preserve the privacy of people. But then it can potentially hinder the innovation of, you know, what can you use data for? And if you don't have signed off for using the data for a specific purpose, you're not allowed to do so without, you know, the explicit consent of the user. <coughs> so what, what would you say your recommendation is in how to apply GDPR from a change management point of view that still allows some form of innovation? Do you have any suggestions there or? Um. First of all, it's it's really a management issue, the top management to involve. It, it's thought, okay, it must be an IT thing. Mm. Uh, but it is a management issue to look through your processes because a lot of things you do because you've always done it. Mm. Uh, should we do it that way? Uh, can we change? So I would say that GDPR is an enabler for really optimizing your processes and making it better. Um, That's a new view. Uh, That's a new view. Yeah. Let's explore that one. How do you <laughs> <Yeah>. mean? <laughs> uh, Instead of doing a lot of manual work where you collect uh, personal information, store yeah. it locally on computers and you lose it and you don't have control, you force it into being used into quite a locked and protected system. Mm -hmm. So uh, you have to log into the system, you have to work in the system. Um, and uh, even if you don't like the system, so how can we adapt it in the best possible way? But if we do everything from there, we don't need all the other things. Um, and in many organizations, uh, when new systems are implemented, 
uh, you, what we spoke about before, you don't go all the way. So you implement some steps of work, yeah. but people still work manually around the system yeah. and do things. So GDPR is really uh, an opportunity to clean that up and, and to get people working according to processes. It doesn't mean that everybody will like it, but you will have to look at, okay, why is this important to us? Why, of course, it's a law, but what is the value for our organization? Mm. Uh, how can we benefit from this to, to clean up and start working? And um, at the same time, you must be able to work. You can't build, of course, we can put a lot of IT security, but you, it would take you 45 minutes to get started in the morning. Do you want that? No, okay, then you have to change yeah. But I, I think this is quite profound uh, and, and almost, first I thought it was provocative uh, how it can be an, an, a GDPR as an enabler. Mm. But the interesting thing is that we have already concluded in other topics that uh, the, you know, when we talk about the data and AI divide, the normal companies versus the, the super giants, we have already concluded several times that they don't really have a problem with GDPR because they have so strong systems and they have so strong processes around data. So for them to, to have the data lineage sorted and, and, and get that sorted, it's not a problem. And what Anna is saying right now, instead of looking as GDPR as a major pain to try to implement that on your shitty manual processes, use that as a leverage to get into systems that are more uh, robust. But let me then be a devil's advocate in some way. Yeah. And, and, and I mean, I do agree. I mean, it, we should have more control of the data we use and what we use it for and have routines to manage, you know, erasure and whatever and explanations for, for you know, whatever kind of decision support system you're using. But it is also really hard for SMEs or small companies to implement all these kind of things and make sure that they have documented routines for all these kind of things. So it is also in, in some way hurting the innovation in, in small companies. Wouldn't, wouldn't you agree? That depends on, I would say, on the, the view that you take on, on the documentation. I mean, nobody says that you need to buy a special program and put your processes in there. You, you can actually, uh, you can have a piece of paper and, and write the process uh, and define it. Uh, but how do you know it's valid so you don't get sued for like 4% of your revenue? Then? Uh, you need to make sure, and that is the, the uh, task of a manager, are people working according to the process? But yeah. yeah. But, but yeah, that's one thing, you know, that you follow your own routines, but but how, how do you even know if the routines you do, that you define are valid and conforming to GDPR? Um I would say that GDPR focuses more on on the purpose, are you allowed to have the data and what is the purpose? Mm. Um and then the other part is about information security, how do you secure your data? Uh, and and do you have a, a thought on that? Mm -hmm. yeah, maybe uh, I'm I'm just a bit uh, subjective on this matter because I've seen a number of companies that have a really yeah, but, but I, I think the bottom line is very, very few it, uh, very very few companies seems to have grasped the pros what GDPR really is and how to tackle it. So they go they go knee jerk reaction better safe than sorry, mm -hmm. and they they stop doing things they should be doing. But but you are actually talking now from a you know a, 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 a GDPR literate standpoint and highlight that well if you really understand what it is do the process have it documented and then you can cope so so it's then it's a like one part of the change management is to adopt and be data literate or GDPR literate 
Yeah, and and if I may comment on that, what I think when GDPR was announced, uh, there was a huge rally. You had lawyers and consultants. Hype. Really, and and uh, uh, I mean, if you read, uh, I heard on, on on the podcast that you had also read the uh, original document, uh, and if you slam that onto the table and say, people, we are going to help you with this, I mean, you, you can do almost anything. But if you look at the bottom line, what is it that you are required to do? And and if you have an incident, how shall you handle that? Uh, you will not get fined uh, because you have an incident. But if you don't learn from it and change, then you will be. Um, and if you have not uh, a good case for why you have the data, and I mean, you, you don't publish it on, on the front uh, of, of your office, uh, you have tried uh, to the best and, and you explain, okay, this is how we tried. Um, then the integration integrationsmyndighet, and they, they can say, okay, you, you made a fault in your thinking, mm-hmm. but you can never get away by saying, oh, we didn't think. It's good in some sense. And let me... <laughs> I can I, tell I can, this is a tough subject for you. <laughs> no, but I, I, as I said, you know, I think the intention is great. But let me quote, um, this is a professor in, in law in Sweden, and, and she, I think, phrases very, very well, saying, of course, the intention is good. The problem is that the lack of knowledge, the uncertainty in how to implement it, that is the problem. Yes, if absolutely. you know about how to implement it, it's not really a big thing. The problem is that we don't really know how to do it, and the knowledge is lacking. So I think, you know, one speaking about the AI agenda uh, that was uh, formally launched this week, mm-hmm. and, and one of the things they recommend there, which I think is rather good, is that the new immigration, uh, the integration, <laughs> integrationsmyndigheten, how do you say it in English? I don't yeah. know. A privacy agency, I guess, or something, um, which was previously Data Inspektionen in Sweden. Um, they, they perhaps should not only, you know, um, validate and confirm that people are abiding by GDPR, but they should also guide people in how to do it. Absolutely. That's similar to actually finance inspektionen, yes. mm-hmm. and, and they actually do have uh, also guidance in saying, if you follow these rules, you know, you will be rather safe. Mm-hmm. So not only having um, um, oversight committee, so to speak, but also having some kind of guidance and, and giving examples, you know, this is how you should do it. Yeah. If we do that, then perhaps more companies could be more com- confident in, in actually using data and AI and still ab- abiding by GDPR. Yeah, yeah because and I completely agree there because that is what m- many have been asking for when when, when we approach that date, 25th mm. of May, <laughs> yeah, exactly. uh, okay, sh- what shall we do? Is this right or wrong? And, and, and what they came back saying is, well, we need some uh, lawsuits and, mm. and see what, 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 have how to wait for someone gets sued. And that's yes, kind of a weird how, thing to say. Uh, how right? was it interpreted? Yeah. And um, that's law. <laughs> yeah. How was it interpreted? Yeah. Um, uh, and, and so, so that I, I totally agree, but I think, still think they are doing a good job on trying to guide, but really it's a situation where they can say, this is what it's like because um, but but no maybe verdicts. we can get the inside track a little bit, Anna, because I know you're working in some projects together with, you know, you are teaming up in different projects. And uh, one of your teammates is a certified uh, from Data Inspektionen or the Integrity Myndigheten, right? Uh, no, uh, well, uh, Certified Data Protection Officer, Dataskyddsombud. Dataskyddsombud, yeah. according to... Uh, yeah, to uh, the regulations, yes. And Data Inspektionen owns, or now Integritetsmyndigheten owns this regulation in Sweden. 
uh, they at least they own the responsibility they for GDPR. I don't know if they know. Uh, also, the, the, the GDPR is European law, but I think they 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 own the enforcement, like Finansinspektionen. Okay. Mm. Yeah. Okay. So, when you have worked, f- uh, you know, from this context, um, uh, do you have any insights, inside tracks on the thinkings? Uh, you know, because we have actually had that on this podcast to understand how does Finansinspektionen work versus Data Inspektionen or and and one part which is a little bit where I think Finance Inspection is doing a great job in this, how these go consultative and mm. guiding around their job is quite smart. Mm. And uh, have you seen any of those ideas? Have you heard anything about that? That would be my my wingman or wingwoman. Yeah. She's the one that knows about that. So I, yeah. I completely lean on her. And so I wouldn't be the right one to okay, say okay. anything on the topic. But I completely agree about the need. And what I know, for example, the unions, they, they got together and, and had some lawyers and they sat down and, and said, how shall we interpret this for, from a union point of view? Mm. And then everybody sort of said, okay, this is how we will. Mm. Um, and had some communication. So, I mean, that's one way to try to handle it. But uh, still, there is a lot of, but, a lot but, of work uh, to uh, do. Speaking about how to handle it, what do you think about these um, huge terms of service kind of agreement that you sign when you use whatever kind of service saying, you know, yes, I accept. And then, you know, you have no idea what they really want to use it for, but still everyone does it. Do you think that's a good thing? Uh, I mean, it's completely worthless. That's yeah. my per- personal point of view. I mean, when you're on a website, you want to book that trip. Yeah. You want to buy that book. Uh, you you want to get that information. And uh, it's like, I mean, it's the same as when you uh, open a new bank account or where you buy a car. You don't read all the... Exactly. (laughs) So everybody just clicks, I accept. Yeah. And obviously that's a big problem, right? Because it makes the big companies being able to handle these kind of things because they just change something in the small lining, so to speak, and then they can do whatever. But for other companies, they can't. can't. Yeah. And and what people feel is that GDPR is just an obstacle because I have to click this every time (laughs) instead of thinking, what does this really mean? It means I'm giving my whole life away. (laughs) Maybe I should stop here. Why should I give you cookies? Yeah. So I I have a comment on that. Maybe those people who wrote the GDPR should have taken change management into calculation. Uh Thank you. This was was the comment. So how how do we maybe change? Isn't that a really profound thing? You know, GDPR was a good intention, but it was horribly changed managed in some way. And and if if we bring change management perspective (laughs) into also regulation topics, how will this be implemented? Mm. How will this, how will we impact this? I bet you the laws will look different. Yeah. That's yeah. a good one. That's a really yeah. profound. I think, you know, we have to close on that because that was a, such a good, you know, statement. Yeah, yeah that was. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and it really tells, you know, the need for a change management as well. I mean, if you don't do this properly, and, it and, will and, have and, really and bad impacts. early, right? Think about yeah. when you're early into your project or policy, Mm. How will this be implemented and what changes do we need to have as tools around this mm. for this to fly? Yeah. 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 Cool. So Should we move to Amazon a bit? Okay, uh, let's go. I, I mean, mean, like, uh, I have yeah. to give you Amazon. <laughs> let's go. Let's go. I mean, we have to have some more technical topic as well. And, uh, yeah. <laughs> and you're an author as well and, and spend a lot of time writing and you're right now preparing, you know, the English version of your book, Change Management. And and you've been working with, I guess, uh, Swedish publishers mainly, or student literature, or yeah? yes. And um, then, if we and just give some background about this, you know, Amazon was you know starting up in in the book industry, and they really revolutionized and disrupted, I would even say, the whole book publishing industry. 
now they disrupted so much more in you know the same thing happened with music and spotify in some sense and and uber and and whatnot and airbnb and so many things but for i think today at least in, in us if you want to publish a book you have no option i would say uh, without going through amazon otherwise you wouldn't sell books and then they you know removed the need for having editors they removed the need to have publishers they removed the need to have distribution and everything you know is being managed by a single organization which is amazon and um, and you may hear i don't have always positive sentiments about <laughs> amazon <laughs> but what's your thinking about this when you have these kind of big tech giants like amazon coming in and disrupting um, an industry like uh, the book publishing industry do you think it's good bad going to do about it. There were so many questions at the same time yeah, and it's no. so many stirs so many things. <laughs> and and actually it really uh, it was the wrong topic because it stirs me. I'm a bookworm. I yes. want physical books. Yeah. <laughs> and and so you the, get passionate. All right. And I want to go into a bookstore where you can feel the smell so of get, the books and and you can feel them in the shelves and so on. So mm. it's sort of a bad. So if Choose we could whatever have, part of it. You know, know, get get I, I want to get some fire. I want to get some fire. Let it out Anna. let it out. <laughs> so maybe it had be better to talk about Uber or something because I really think the disruption part is really good. Um, but, but not my books. <laughs> but but I wouldn't say that that it's um, uh, I would step back from from Amazon. It's really about the possibilities of, of internet because uh, I mean at, in a small pond like Sweden you can publish your own book. Mm-hmm. You can market it on I mean I have colleagues that they have written books, uh, mm-hmm. published it and, and marketed it on LinkedIn and their yeah. own web page and some Google AdWords and and sold books. So um uh, Maybe Amazon showed the, the way, the in way some, in some but, but somebody else would have found the self-publishing and and that part, um, and 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 then it's about um, how do you do? I mean, the U.S. is such a, a huge market, and mm-hmm. and you, you can write a book on anything. Uh, as an uh, author of a book that was being published, I mean, I. I've always enjoyed writing. I, I thought I was a good writer. Mm. But when we left the first manuscript and then got it back, uh, first of all, the coaching by the publisher and then got it back by a professional language uh, person. Yeah. yeah, because we were three people writing a book and, and she made it one book. Uh, I mean, we could have published the book ourselves mm. uh, and, and maybe, uh, I mean, at least two to the practitioners, we might have been able to sell it, but it wouldn't have been such a good book if we didn't have the publisher. And the editor. That, yeah. yeah, and the editor. Uh, but, but still, don't you see, I mean, I think in US, and I may be wrong on the numbers now, but I think you, Amazon stands for more than 50% of all the book sales in US or something. Yeah, it makes and, my heart bleed <laughs> <laughs> for all the bookstores, yeah. Yeah, and, and so many bookstores have been forced to close uh, because of that. And is going back a bit to the AI divide kind of problem and, and the problem when you have a company that becomes a bit too successful um, and other companies don't have the the stamina to keep up, so to speak. Um, what, what do you think? Yeah. Okay, I'm trying to concise it into a good question. There's so many different aspects here, but... Do you think uh, that you know, digitalization will happen, of course, and, and people will still write books and read books? No question about that. But do you think it's good that we consolidate that into a single like digital publisher in some way, uh, like Amazon or Spotify or Uber or something? Do you think in general that's a good move 
forward that enables people more than help or um, it's always i mean I, I i would say that it's still too early to answer that question uh, but if we look at an, an other market where, when i grew up in the 70s were these big uh, uh, stores where you could buy your food uh, there were no uh, butchers or cheese shop or, or whatever in sweden mm. at least uh, i mean you had the big uh, supermarkets and now we have the butchers coming back and the cheese and people make beer out and mm. you microbreweries micro i grew up with it was pips <laughs> i mean you have the microbreweries so i mean that that people want something back um and of course with the pandemic a lot has moved to to e-business and and the mm. big companies can do this but but it might come back we don't know and mm. be something new just like we all uh, oh, a lot of people work from home in digital meetings um when we go back uh, to work uh, i don't think we will go back uh, 100% yeah. and it will not be 100% digital it we will find uh, different ways so um we can't stop things like amazon to happen mm. uh personally i mean it, it hurts my feelings but uh, it will happen and and then we uh, will see what what happens maybe mm. it will uh, change into something completely different because people don't want the amazon way i don't know but now i want to take the next topic and you have already made the segue to some degree so a new topic here like let, let's talk about change management uh, in the light of the pandemic and 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 the practice of work or how we work digitalization and all that is a big topic um and and, and I let's have a context now that um, I give you I give you an, uh, this is a real example but I will address it uh, who it relates to but let's say we have a company who has been working in an analog way before maybe it's with customers and stuff like this and now all of a sudden we have worked in a new way where basically we we have met customers we have done different things differently uh because we had to in the corona and then we realize we should probably continue to work differently maybe it's one thing how you how we have the office but equally is about in like the cost of going and meeting customers can we be more virtual in can the whole view of how we work look differently So could we just elaborate of you know do we think that and from a change perspective you know the change management aspect if you want to stick to some of the good practices you know could we elaborate on this a little bit and yeah. please take it in any direction you want Yeah well, I've had comments from several customers that their uh, digital journey took a leap 3 year to 5 years ahead and some that have been struggling uh, say that what was impossible half a year ago is now possible uh, but the circumstances were extreme uh, it was not just that our organization had to change or our department no. it was a whole globe so nobody really questioned uh, uh, that we need to do this uh, so so there was no discussion why do we need to do it so it the environment like, for change was per, like the perfect storm <laughs> yeah. not only did your boss said you had to change everybody's bosses said you know or everybody had to comply so actually the change had no barriers outside as well yeah yeah it was really nobody telling you to change you just uh, uh, you stayed at home and you wanted to work so how am i going to do but, it but the risk is now you know i think the po- if if we have had positives i mean like it's crazy to say but we have maybe digital positives out of corona 
And now the pressure goes back or down. So theor theoretically, we could work like we did before. Yeah. How can we not go back to the, uh, how can we optimize the benefit? So what will be required, do you think? Um, what has happened is that people have actually seen that this works. Uh, and uh, the, the proof of concept, the so to say, <laughs> uh, you, you don't have to do a lot of events. It's it's a proof of concept. And we have had the opportunity to grow because the expectations were so low because yeah. it was really a crisis. Yes. So from the beginning, expect if you just got a sound on your computer, that was a good thing. <laughs> uh, and then if there was a picture, even if the meeting was crappy, you had a picture. Yay. Uh, so, so we grew from very low expectations. Um, um, so, so uh, to some extent, it has now been accepted, uh, and and the the bar uh, rises all the time. So now people don't want to be in a crappy team meeting, even if yeah we know it works and so on. But the requirement, and and now in the change community, there's a lot of discussions. How do we handle where people are not coming together uh, when you don't have the social interaction? How shall managers work? How do managers really make good meetings and then it's about management and team. How do we want to work in the future? Um, one thing is to do like Spotify and say, okay, everybody can choose for themselves. Mm -hmm. But I think every organization needs to ask, okay, how, how, how do we want to guide people? Uh, what do we think is the best for this organization? Um, and to be much, much better. We talked a bit about when I came to the studio, what requirements do we have on Lighting the technical them. parts? And mm -hmm. uh, from the beginning, almost nothing. And it, it rises all the time. So... Um, the digital part will be much, much better, uh, uh, but I'm, I'm absolutely sure it's going to be a mixture. But I have to ask you, from a change management point of view, didn't the whole pandemic was a really interesting learning experience in terms of if you really put you against the wall and force you to change to work from home, like super rapidly, you can do it. Yeah. Right? The, 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 the pandemic has proven over and over again with adversity, or a common threat or a common goal, uh, we are capable of change in a completely different speed and to a completely bigger impact. So, so is the solution and learning from that, that um, to actually be successful with change management, we need to be a bit more severe or we need to have put people against the wall, so to speak. No, I, I think it's how strong is the why? It is definitely. I mean, the bottom line is, how strong can you make the why? Mm. If the why is strong enough, then change is easy. It, it's the weakness of the why for the individual, for society, for the organization, and they don't even line up. Mm. Like it's good for the company, yeah. it's not good for the environment, and it's not good for me, I'm not gonna do this change. So I think the, how big is the why, if you can amplify the why, uh, for all, you know, you know, shareholders, for the company, for you as an individual, you probably have an easier journey. But we, we still must agree that, you know, if we do express the why or really get the why demanded to us, we can change much faster than we thought, right? Absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, and, and, and in this case also, everything around us changed. Yeah. Sometimes when you implement a change in an organization, uh, you uh, 
sales organizations where we want uh, sales uh, sales reps to be more uh, advisors and and business partners uh, but we still measure how many visits do you make uh, so to to change <laughs> uh, and you still keep the old structures in this case with the pandemic all the structures changed as well so that made it easier you need so to measure them you know i can't measure how many visits you made because we're not allowed to do visits what do i measure now mm-hmm. bottom line yeah 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 and uh, yeah and, and and also um sometimes when you in- implement it change you keep the old ways of measuring and you keep the old structures around uh, the team that changes or the individual which makes it harder now everything changed that also makes it easier but this qu- brings us into another favorite topic i want to take first principles yeah. Com- i was saying it, we, perhaps we should um, have a new t-shirt saying uh, we should make a corona change corona change saying you know yeah. yeah that is like a disruptive change that happens super rapidly because we have a strong why you know? yeah, yeah um, but but l- l- hear me out here it's a t-shirt how strong is your why i think it yes. will how strong is your yeah. why i think it's good make sure is- that simon sonic hasn't printed it yet yeah how strong <laughs> is your why <laughs> uh, I, i have two i have two really concrete topics that i want to i want to cover and 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 uh, uh, anna can choose one is about um first principles and basically breaking down in and reinventing something from scratch uh, let's talk about that and that also has a change implication the other one uh, is more uh, tips and tricks around change management how do you work with that in practice now when you need when you can't meet physically so how would what's your best tips and tricks how you work with change when you can see each other physically and how do we do it now when we need to deal with change uh, when it's all digital so this is one topic But I actually want to I want to I want to segue into the first principle topic first. So there's two topics that you know. Uh the the first principle you have to uh, guide me there because that's I'm not really uh, Okay, so l- let me try to yep. set up this Please. context. So uh, when you are meeting great people, uh we you start exploring what's the fundamentals to success. And and then we've had some good examples and we have talked a lot about this and I think you ex- inspired me to you know you you get some i you know uh, different role models so different people who talks about different things so Elon Musk he used the word and 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 you know talks about first principles and other people do it of course but first principles means in a way uh, it's 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 comes you know if you google it it's it means from a philosophical point of way to to go down to the core and the easiest way when we talk about this is you have some sort of example if if you basically look at any type of uh, business or process or things how things are done you know what happens if you challenge it to the core we have done we have built rockets in one way forever and we build rockets we build big tanks we shoot up the rocket and then the rocket explodes and we can never reuse it again so th- so first principle thinking elon musk what happens if i question if we need to shoot and blow up rockets if we can land them So he basically go back to the core of this, you know, and he did the same in the battery space, you know, a battery cost $800 per kilowatt hour, but he looks at the components technically it's 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 $8 worth of raw material. Can we fundamentally redo this? And we can take first principle from a business perspective. Car manufacturer like Volvo, like Volvo can define themselves as a car manufacturer. Or they, or they can, or they can strip them themselves down to the core and understand. Actually, we provide transport, so we define M. 
So the interesting thing now is, uh, you know, when we come with data and AI and all that, I mean, like, this is the difference about, you know, having uh, an analog process and putting data and AI on top. And then first principles really reinventing with the data and AI first in mind. So first principle for me is the, is the fundamental when you go change down to the core and then when you put the pieces together, as you said with the book, you build it up in another way. So I would like to explore what that, what's the implication when you try to truly take a process or a new business model and you think, you know, the concept is clear in your head now, you have understood that you can do something else. But of course, the change management process is very, very different. But, but couldn't we phrase it a, a bit like this? So, you know, imagine that you have a new idea yeah. and, and you want to implement it. And, and we have spoken a lot about the change management process for doing that. But another way to also think about this is what is the change we need to do? How do you, how do you come up with that? How do you come up with we need to do a change and what should that change be? And then when you come up you know, with some idea, then we implement it and you need to do the proper change management to implement that and make sure it happens. But another question is simply, you know, how do you come up with the change itself? Yeah, but now now we're arguing is, because there are two different questions, in my opinion. One is, one is the thought process to reinvent. And one is the, you know, understanding that if I incrementally go this way, my change management will be this. But if I go down this path, my change management will be quite different. So we can take both comments. But, but you see my point. I think that the first principle reasoning part is about, you know, coming up with a change. Yes. It's not about uh, implementing the change. And I think these are two different, you know, processes that you have. But th that, that's the more the creative part and have the, the crazy yeah. people with the thinking hats and, yes. and, and you're allowed to come up with any idea really, yeah. uh, but then the next step, uh, and you shouldn't apply change or think about implication because then Amazon wouldn't have done what they exactly. had and we wouldn't have iPhones. And, so I, but I, because I'm, I'm in step two mode because yeah. I, I'm so a little bit like do, do innovation can come from anyone and let it, let it be the crazy people. It can come from anyone, but it should. <laughs> but then, then, yeah. then we get into a, a conservative company and they want that they really want to reinvent now. And now the whole process of how to implementing that, I, I was actually thinking about when your change is, you know, disruptive, when your innovation is really disruptive, uh, what you call it innovation, rap, you know, what, what Stefan called it, like we have the different levels, right? Incremental versus uh, disruptive. Yeah, disruptive. Yeah. yeah, but what, what, again, that what you do there is you bring in the ones that you know are so different from you, the ones whose shoes you should actually step into, uh, the ones that you want to shoot your project down. Yeah. Uh, and, uh, and let them help you define, like you said, okay, this way or that way, what is the change? What is the bigger change or what is the easier change? Uh, and, and then you will have to choose which way to go. Uh, and, and you can always take the bigger change, but then you have to, to prepare for that. Uh, it's like you can go on a really long trip, but you have to, to prepare and pack for that. But, 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 uh, the, the, so the basic answer is that if even it's a disruptive change that you're bringing about, it, the fundamentals are similar. Yes, absolutely. What about success? You know, can you disrupt yourself or are you better off if you want to set up a new company or a new process that you almost do that like in an incubator or in a different process? So, you know, the resistance to change can maybe be too great. Are there other mechanisms that, you know, tactics? 
Yeah, when you look at a change, one of the things that, that you see is, okay, what is the culture within this company? Is this a company where we like to do different cha- things uh, every two months? Or is this a company where we uh, do the same thing? Uh, is safety uh, important or is crazy important? Uh, and that should give you the answer to, okay, do I need to set up a different company or do I want to change this the one that I have. And uh, it will always take more resources to change the one you have. Cool. Um, and I, you know, we spoke about AI and disruption, the change it will have um, in, I think, the society in general in coming 10 years in, in more profound ways than people think. And I'm a bit reluctant to move into this topic, but I still want to do that uh, in the last couple of minutes before we move into to the final questions. But if we take one of the more negative disruptions that will happen because of automation, it could be, for example, truck drivers in US. I think they stand for like 30% of the job market or something. And obviously it's going to be the whole transportation sector is going to be heavily disrupted rather quickly now. How, and, and you know, for the people working in that, that they, they need to, to make a change. And um, some of the ideas, if you listen to Andrew Young and others, they, they're speaking about the UBI, this kind of universal basic income and, and things like that, to be able to handle this big change in the society. This is a very philosophical and hard to answer question, so sorry for that. But still... You know, we know that some parts of the society will have to go through a big change in coming 10 years. Do you do you have any thoughts about, you know, how to make that happen? Do you, for example, believe in UBI, the universal basic income, or how, how should we handle people that where, you know, the, the, the jobs they have will be disrupted rather? Yeah. Can you, can you explain uh, universal? Yeah. So universal basic income is basically that everyone have a thousand dollar or ten thousand crowns per month, uh, no matter what job you have. It's an opt-in kind of system, and you get uh, money. Uh, everyone, uh, not something you can perhaps live by completely, but at least it's something that allows you to to have some income, and that something can potentially help you to transition into a new type of. Uh, work or to educate yourself or do some kind of reskilling or upskilling um, that moves you into another field. Um, but that means that the, the universal basic in- income is something you basically pay your salary to everyone, the whole population, or at least to everyone that opt-ins for it. And, and that is potentially a way to handle this big disruption that's going to happen. What, what, do you, what do you have any thoughts about how do we handle this potential big, you know, it's not going to happen for everyone in society, but for some sectors, it can be a big disruption. I, I think it will uh, affect more sectors than we can imagine. Mm. Uh, and also it's not completely new. I mean, since industrialization, so many works exactly. have, have disappeared uh, and, and others that we wouldn't have imagined have emerged. Exactly. Uh, and, and there's not always a one-to-one match between <laughs> the new ones and, and the ones that emerge. And so I see, um, um, 
there are so so many angles to it, uh, and uh, uh, one is the, the ones that are now being educated and, and going into the market to actually have an education system where where the thinking is that you will probably have several uh, jobs, uh, different careers. profession careers mm-hmm. uh, during your work life, yeah. uh, no matter if if you're uh, in a more practical work or if if you're uh, university and master degree, uh, it will change um and so i'm in in sweden i mean i'm swedish brought up here with the thinking i mean we have the system where you can anybody could go to the university because you can borrow money and what has been done now because of the pandemic they have uh uh, there's a higher uh age where you can actually get that money and there is a discussion that that it should be given (coughs) maybe (laughs) lifelong (laughs) as long as you could work at least so you could actually go to the university and um um, if if you look at the, the UBI, I mean, if you look at the big innovations, were they, they the people that were really wealthy or were the ones that really struggled? So uh, maybe I'm too much into sales, but some struggle. And, and you have, uh, in Sweden at least, we have a kind of basic security. Uh, and uh, um, and that combined with talking about and, and having a, like I say, ph- philosophical discussion that, yeah, we will have to uh, change uh, during our lives. Um, and for some, it's going to be a challenge because if you're older today uh, and uh, it's not obvious what you could change into, but we have to um, to change the way we think about work and upgrading certain work the, the careers that, that uh, have not been very highly uh, thought of. Um, but but I, th- I think this is actually very to the point that if we rethink education and the fundamental institution of education as not something you do between a certain age, but as a, as a lifelong obligation or expectation and, and take away the stigma of losing a job or changing a job, but actually to have different career paths, that's the new normal, right? Mm-hmm. So it means we will have university and you will go in and out of university. What's the problem? And yeah, it, and, but and it's, 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 it's a mind shift, of course, and it's this change of system. But if we understand that we will have adult learning or lifelong learning and we will have career changes and now how does the system look like? I, I'm with Anna. I, I'm not so afraid anymore. It's, but it's a different system. We can't, we can't go on with an old system that doesn't fit this. And and we have to change, I think, the thinking that, okay, it's a three-year three full-time education or uh, and also talk about uh, what kind of education and what could you actually do. Mm-hmm. Uh, there was a discussion that a lot of people that were, were laid off partially during the pandemic, uh, there was, okay, they didn't go to study. Uh, well, maybe they didn't understand for how long this was going and what should I study? <laughs> so, so to have that discussion as a public conversation and... Uh, um, uh, but do you think it changes the system? I think it changes the underlying system as well yeah. to, to be then fit for a slightly different purpose. Yeah, and, and, and I mean, there are so, I mean, this topic could, could go on for several hours. There are so many changes. I mean, the, the fundamentals of our educational system is built to provide the industry, which is uh, pro- 
producing industry with with managers and workers and uh, we are trying to fix it uh, and we are in a completely different paradigm today uh, where that is not the case that's not what the the, the work uh, field needs uh, so there's a big um, uh, there's a big gap with what education produces and what is needed and oh. the abilities. You open up Pandora's box. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, time is uh, now seven o'clock. Perhaps we should uh, try to start to close up a bit. Ah, come on, we do another hour. You know? <laughs> no, I mean, like this is a great topic for the after after work. Mm-hmm. Um, but we usually uh, end up uh, the conversation on a couple of. Um, uh, Similar questions every time. And, and, and the first one I want to ask you is like, uh, what's next in your life? We know about the book now, but, but uh, what else is sort of happening? And or, you know, where are you at right now? What's happening next in Anna's life? Um, I've been working uh, with the same projects now for, for some time. Uh, in change management, you, you work more or less b- depending on in what phase. So I have several projects. Uh, so uh, really it's now dipping my toe into maybe starting something completely new uh, in that term. So uh, that's exciting. Um, Can you tell us about it? Or is it no. no? <laughs> <laughs> uh, and then as we discussed when I came here, I've I raised myself a level with my home studio, but I feel that I should go another level to be when I hold digital like lectures and, and trainings. And uh, yeah. so that's and, and uh, as I said, but you, you have a digital coach here for your home studio yeah, in, in Gora today. So yeah. uh, it's going to be onwards and upwards. I think so. <laughs> Very can, cool. You can always come here and record your sessions. No problem. I will help you. Then I don't have to learn. <laughs> <laughs> That's, that sounds great. And, and so there's been an up, uprise of this sort of doing it at home, but uh, studio, yeah, lectures, yeah. stuff like this. Yeah, I would never have imagined. I have a group of managers that that are leading a very tough change uh, that I have uh, trained since uh, autumn and we will be ready in a month. I've never met them. It's the first group because I work with people change management. It's the first group. Uh, I've never met them. Uh, I will not meet them until we are ready. It's really strange. Strange. (laughs) And I'm driving a change project with people in Australia. I wanted to talk about. (laughs) (laughs) I'm driving a change project in Australia and with the time difference. I mean, I don't enjoy flying for 25 hours, but uh, to spend time in a room for several days, that would have been made a huge difference. And an Australian company or Swedish company? Swedish. Swedish company. Oh, we have so many more topics. All right. (laughs) But last question. Uh, If you were to recommend uh, someone that you would want to hear uh, on these podcasts, uh, do you have a good recommendation for us, Ron? Whatever on you should have asked me that before because now I'm, I'm totally blank. I've but uh, have you had somebody from Integrationsmyndigheten? Because yeah, you have. No, 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 we haven't. But that's a good idea. Yeah, that or Dig. Yeah, uh, we know Dig people. Dig, we know several people of Dig, and we we kind of have them on the list. Yep. But we, we, we are waiting for Pet, uh, Patrick Ekemo to come Ekemo down. Patrick is our favorite. Uh, yeah, we we like him a lot. Um, but who do you have a name for us or have a, a connection? Could you I help us? I have to get back on that. So uh, get a, get yeah, get yeah. back and uh, through your friend a connection at, yeah. at Integritetsmyndigheten. Yes. Uh, that would be very good. Yeah. I think that's a great idea. I think so too. So with this, I think, thank you very much, Anna. What, what a fantastic theme change. Yeah. And uh, that was very interesting. Many topics. 
And even very interesting for me as a tech person, I must say. So I'm positively surprised uh, with the great discussion. (laughs) He's like, I want to talk about neural networks. (laughs) (laughs) Well, thanks for having me. It's been really great. And uh, we can dive into some of the topics we'll stay on. Yeah. Awesome. Thank you very much. Thank you very much.